person Bible study. It pleased God in his goodness and wisdom, Vatican II. Yes, I'm quoting the Vatican II. It pleased God in his goodness and wisdom to reveal himself and make known the mystery of his will. His will was that men should have access to the Father through Christ, the Word made flesh in the Holy Spirit, and thus become sharers in the divine nature. By this revelation, then, the invisible God, from the fullness of his love, addresses men as his friends and moves among them in order to invite and receive them into his company. In order to invite and receive them into his company. The church has always venerated the divine scriptures as she venerated as, as she venerates the body of the Lord, insofar as she never ceases, particularly in the sacred liturgy, to partake of the bread of life and to offer it to the faithful from the one table of the Word of God and the body of Christ. She was always regarded and continues to regard the scriptures taken together with sacred tradition as a supreme rule of her faith. For since they are inspired by God and committed to writing once and for all time, they present God's own word in an unalterable form. And they make the voice of the Holy Spirit sound again and again in the words of the prophets and apostles. It follows then that all the preaching of the church, as indeed the entire Christian religion, should be nourished and ruled by sacred scripture. In the sacred books, the Father, who is in heaven, comes lovingly to meet his children and talks with them. In the sacred books, the Father, who is in heaven, comes lovingly to meet his children and to talk with them. You all brought your Bibles. Who didn't bring their Bible? I got an extra one. Everybody else brought their Bible? All of them. No. Really? Fan. That's right, Chuck. I'm representing the only one. Now, clearly, in two classes, is it warm in here? Yes. Why don't we open the, the, the door and see? Oh, no, come on, it's not cold outside. It's like 60 degrees. Right? Yeah. Let's open that door up. Now, we're going to get bugs in. They're going to be dive bombing me. That's all right. It'll be all right. All right? Leo XIII in Provendentissimus Deus says, We admonish with paternal love all students and ministers of the church always to approach the sacred writings, students, that's you and me, to approach the sacred writings with reverence and piety, for it is impossible to attain to the prop to the profitable understanding thereof unless the arrogance of the earthly science be laid aside and there be excited in the heart the holy desire for that wisdom which is above all. The church has always encouraged the study of sacred scripture. You of the older generation, what do you have to say to me about that? 
Not true. Not true. What did you hear when you were kids? That if we read the scripture, we'd misinterpret it. We wouldn't understand what we were reading. Okay. What else? And that's enough, right? It's possible that people said that to you. It's possible that individual priests said that to you. It's possible that individual catechists said that to you. But I'm here to tell you the church has never said that. And when I say the church, I mean the church functioning as the body of Christ. We all know that certain priests have done certain things, especially in our own day, that are not approved by the church. The church has continuously... The magisterium, the Holy Father, the patriarchs, the bishops have continually encouraged the study of sacred scripture. And unfortunately, as Catholics, what's our general sense as Catholics? Do we know the, do we know the Bible? No. It's no. our general sense. I would challenge that point. I would put your average Catholic up against your average Protestant any day. I'm saying average, Jennifer. I'm not saying you. <laughs> Jennifer is a convert. I'm going to say you're average, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because Catholics know the Word of God not in the same way that your average Protestant does. Your average Protestant, sure, can open up this book and quote chapter and verses ad nauseum. But when I want to talk to a Protestant about a story of the sacred scriptures or about the context of the sacred scriptures I'm going to be much better off talking to a Catholic and there's a reason why because in the mass Catholics hear the word of God from every angle the mass is the Bible alive Spoken. When you hear the readings, when you hear the gospel read and you hear the words of Jesus Christ proclaimed, you are hearing the word of Jesus Christ. You are hearing Jesus Christ himself speak to you. And Catholics, although we've been beaten down that we don't know the Bible, I'm here to tell you for a good portion of Catholics, those that are listening at church, actually have a pretty good grasp on the sacred scriptures. And it's not very difficult for someone like myself to get you to figure it out opening up the pages of your Bible. That's where Catholics have a hard time. Opening up this thing is pretty scary. Opening it up. And so we don't do it very often. Clearly, in two classes, we're not going to be able to read the Bible. This is a... Um, the first series in a two-series series. series. <laughs> We're doing this two-part section now, okay, as a preparation for our series that we're doing after Easter, and that is our Salvation History series, which I teach once a year, where we will be opening with Genesis chapter 1, and we'll be closing with the end of the book of Revelation over seven classes. And yes, we'll be going through the whole Bible in seven hours. And we won't be speed reading. I might be talking really fast, but we won't be speed reading. Okay? So this is our time here over the next two hours, hour today, hour next week, 
is simply to allow us to get some principles down. We're not going to be doing a lot of reading of the Bible. We're not going to be fanning through our text through this way and that way and that. We'll do plenty of that after Easter. For now, we're going to get some basic principles down. If we just open the Bible today, start reading, we're all going to fail like we failed a hundred times before. When we start at the beginning of Lent or the New Year and we start reading and we get frustrated and we put down the Bible. I don't want that to happen to you. And so we're going to try to solve that problem by reading the scriptures properly. And the first thing the church says is we must humble ourselves and read with the eyes of faith. We admonish with paternal love all students to approach the sacred writings with reverence and piety, with faith. And so, I want to begin by asking you guys a simple question. What is faith? What is faith? What do we mean by faith? Anyone comfortable? Yeah? It's a gift of God that causes us to believe in Him. Alright, I don't want you to use the word believe. Try to say it without the word believe. Because believe, belief is another word for faith, and it means just about as much to us, unfortunately, today as faith does. Yes, Chris? Accepting something as true, objective reality without having any real, without having any kind of um, intellectual or, or certainty about it. Not that it's good. Focus, focus. But sure, sure, sure. It's true, even though you have no. Yeah. He's struggling. He's struggling. Because how do you say? How do you say? I know something without knowing it. Is what you're saying. I know something by faith without knowing it. So faith is is, is a difficult one. Let me read you Joseph Pieper, who's a um, a philosopher. He says, to, "Faith is to accept something unconditionally as real and true on the testimony of someone else who understands the matter out of his own knowledge." So always in faith, there's the believer, there's the knower, and there's the thing known. We're accepting the thing known based upon the insight or authority or trustworthiness of the knower. Always in faith, we entrust ourselves to someone who knows something. <coughs> St. Thomas Aquinas says that the believer it's a little convoluted but it's beautiful once you get it the believer stands in exactly the same relationship let me go back this is within a, within a bigger quote and I think maybe it's going to be helpful in a little context here ascent of the intellect to the witness truth takes place only to the extent that the will seeks and wishes to bring about consent or agreement with the judgment of the speaker participation in and communion with his insight. Or in other words, a spiritual communion with him. So that, and here's where St. Thomas Aquinas begins, so that the believer stands in exactly the same relationship to that which the other knows, and which he does not know, and which the believer does not know, as he does to that which he knows himself. Now, is that confusing? Watch yeah. this. The believer, through his act of faith, 
stands in, in exactly the same relationship to that which the other knows. This is the relationship here. Stands in exactly the same relationship to that which the other knows and which he does not know as he does to that which he knows himself. By faith, faith is, a, is, a, is, a, is supernatural knowledge. Some of you have done this with me before, and I'm going to ask you to do it with me again. To understand what knowledge is, I think the best, the best way for us to do that is to close our eyes. So close your eyes for a minute. Go ahead, Jennifer, close your eyes. I'm going to pull any funny stuff. Close your eyes. Look at the front of your house. What's it look like? What color is it? What's the front door look like? What's your car look like? Now open your eyes. That's not exactly knowledge, but it's a type of knowledge. By knowledge, man is able to look inside himself and have something within him that before he knew that thing was not part of him. But now, through knowledge, he has been united with the thing he knows. Aristotle says, knowledge is the union of the knower and the known. When a, knower, when a man comes to know something, he takes it into himself and becomes one with it. Faith is supernatural knowledge. And what St. Thomas Aquinas is saying is when I make an act of faith in a person, I am united with that person. The union of the knower and the known. But what is beautiful by faith is that I'm not only united with this person, but by union with this person, I am united with the things he's united with. And I become a participant in his knowledge in a way that I can, about things I could not otherwise have any knowledge about whatsoever. Yes, Jennifer? Does there always have to be that little person? Yeah, because otherwise, if you get rid of this person, there's no one to deliver that to you. Okay? You're always entrusting yourself to someone who knows something firsthand. And when we have faith in Jesus Christ, we entrust ourselves to someone who knows God firsthand. And through faith in Him, we can come to know God as the Word of God knows His Father. We are entered into the life of the Trinity. And the reason I'm spending a little bit of time on this is because when we begin to open the Bible, the sacred scriptures, the word of God, we will be presented with all sorts of things which we could not otherwise know. But if we have faith in the author of the scriptures, we can, by faith in him, come to know these things firsthand. We can come to a knowledge which we cannot otherwise come to. But the problem is, or the problem with the world is, when they approach the sacred scriptures without faith, they attempt to judge divine things, things which are above the natural realm. They attempt to put those things to the judgment of our natural intellect. <coughs> And they fall into error. Because the things in the sacred word are above and beyond the created world. Jennifer, any thoughts? 
I guess we still have a little Protestant in me. <laughs> um, We're going to get it out of you there. Don't worry. <laughs> so who's the K then? I mean, like... God. God! Okay, that's, okay, that's fine. I thought you were saying more along the lines of... Yeah. All right, great. I'm there. That's good, Jennifer. <laughs> All right. I want to present a problem for you as Catholics. Um, and we already talked about it just, just a, a second ago. To a certain extent, as Catholics, we, in a sense, feel as though we don't know the, the, the scriptures. And in some sense, that's true. We don't know it well enough, that's for sure. But what do we know? What are we confident that we know? Let me ask you a question. Baptism. What is baptism? Jennifer, you're not allowed to answer this question. What is baptism? If you had to give me a one-sentence definition. Baptism, how about this? Baptism does this. What does it do? Makes us children of God. Okay. Original sin. Good. Washes away original sin. Baltimore Catechism, page 5. Whatever, page 3. Okay, we know our catechism, or at least some of us, of the older generation, do. Some, I should say, you of the older generation do. <laughs> we know our Baltimore catechism, don't we? Yes. I was talking to the missionaries of charity today, and I said, "What are the two important aspects of baptism?" There's 28 nuns in front of me. What are the two aspects of baptism? And they said, "The form and the matter." Oh, no. <laughs> and I said, I mean, that is no, oh, no, yes, that's good. And don't get me wrong, the Baltimore Catechism is good. But for Catholics, unfortunately, that becomes the way we learn the faith. We learn a whole language, which is oftentimes 15th century, 16th century developed theology and true theology but develop theology which is based in the sacred scriptures. Yes, St. Thomas Aquinas talks about the form and matter of baptism, but he only does so in the context of the sacred scriptures. He talks about the form and matter of baptism as a way of explaining what the Bible says. And unfortunately today, we've cut the foundation off. And we no longer have the foundation which St. Thomas Aquinas had. And so St. Thomas Aquinas becomes for us, or our Baltimore Catechism becomes for us, a hill built upon sand. That when someone of another faith comes, it doesn't take much, and the whole house falls down. It's necessary then that we get that foundation back. That we build again upon the sacred scriptures that we established ourselves in the Word of God. Cardinal Jean D'Angelo. Speaking of the sacraments, but I want to apply what he's saying to the faith as a whole. Okay? He says, because they are not understood, the sacraments, I would say, because the faith itself as a whole is not understood, the rites of the sacraments often seem to the faithful to be artificial, and sometimes even shocking. It is only by discovering their meaning that the value of these rites will once again more, once more be appreciated. This is even shocking. Why shocking? The rites themselves are shocking. What about taking a child and taking that child and plunging them down into water and taking them back up again and plunging them down again and taking them up again? What are we doing? And why are we doing it? <coughs> He goes on to say, 
For this symbolism, it says this symbolism in the rites themselves is not subject to the whims of each interpreter. It constitutes a common tradition going back to the apostolic age. And what is striking about this tradition is its biblical character. Whether we read the instructions concerning the sacraments or look at the paintings in the catacombs, we are struck at once by figures taken from Holy Scripture. Adam in paradise, Noah in the ark, Moses crossing the Red Sea. Sound like the baptismal, baptistry at Holy Transfiguration is. These are the images used for the sacraments. It is, it is, then, the meaning and origin of this biblical symbolism that we must first make clear that the realities of the Old Testament are figures of those of the New is one of the principles of biblical theology. And it goes on to talk about typology. Okay? My point here is that because we've lost our grounding in the biblical language, we oftentimes begin to apply other concepts to what we're doing as Catholics. When those things which we're doing as Catholics are rooted in and founded in the sacred scriptures, and it's only there that we can build a proper theology. I can't tell you how many times I've heard ridiculous ideas about confirmation, the sacrament of confirmation. Where we apply all, we import all sorts of modern day ideas to the sacrament itself because we've lost its biblical grounding in kingship, the anointing of the king in Israel. It's lost its biblical foundation in Adam as king of paradise and his ability to order creation. And it's sad, and it's unfortunate, and it's that foundation and that language which we have to restore as Catholics. I'll give you an example. Jesus says, eat my flesh. What, where's that in the Bible? John chapter 6, defense of the Eucharist. Now we read that text. And what's the first thing that comes to our mind? We think about the Eucharist. The Eucharist. Yeah. Standing in the church. Do you think that the people listening to Jesus, when he said that, after he crossed the sea, suddenly thought of a little wafer and a priest standing in a little trimmed fiddle back vestment? No. no. That's why they left. Well, I thought why they left, because they didn't have that idea, but... No, I mean, because they couldn't believe what he said. Okay. Unfortunately, unfortunately, when we read texts like that, as Catholics, we go into what a friend of mine called Catholic comatose. Okay? The most we can say about it is what the Baltimore Catechism has to say. And worse off, usually when we're reading the text, we just keep reading. Oh, that's nice. I mean, that's what Jesus said, right? Eat my flesh. What's well, Jesus? That's Bible talk. That's the way God talks. Eat my flesh. And we never stop to consider what that sounds like. Do you see how or hear how crazy that sounds? Yeah. He wants us to eat his flesh. 
But unfortunately, as Catholics, we keep reading. We keep reading. Unfortunately, as Christians, we just keep reading. And we don't take, do what it takes to develop, as Charles Daniel says, a whole background in the scriptures. We don't spend the time nourishing our souls and our language, our intellect, in such a way as to be able to have on hand the necessary tools to read properly. You know when you listen to the Pope? If you, want, if you listen to a, a sermon of the Pope, you're not sure whether he's reading from the Bible or whether he's preaching his own stuff. Because in any given sentence, he's just in and out of sacred scripture. Right? And I'm telling you, when he's preparing his sermon, he's not you know, using the, the, the concordance and the commentaries and he's trying to figure this thing out. He's been reading it his whole life. And so when he goes to write something, it's the Bible that comes out of his mouth. Just like when you're having a conversation with your friend and you've been watching television for the last 45 years of your life, 12 hours a day, what's going to come out of your mouth? <laughs> Yeah, three's company, right? It's about, it's about the level we end up at. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you when you're approaching the sacred scriptures as we start out. We'll probably keep starting out for this first hour. To slow down. And to realize that this is God's masterpiece. It's a piece of literary genius, something of which the world has no idea. You look at the created order, you look at creation in the springtime with flowers and leaves and the beauty and rivers and the beauty of creation itself. And hopefully, sometimes we stop and say, wow. The Bible is not part of the fallen created order. That is, if that's beautiful, the Bible is even more beautiful. It has in it things which are beyond compare. Let me ask you, if you want to appreciate something that is beautiful as I'm describing, something awesome, something wonderful, what do you have to do? If you're going to go into a museum and you're going to see the greatest works of art, what's the best thing to do before you go? Read about it. Prepare yourself. Absolutely. And the more you read and the more you prepare, the better off you're going to be. And if you don't do that, instead of reading that, you read a comic book. When you walk in, what's going to happen? You see people in museums. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. That's nice. When are we, we going to get our hamburger? And they walked through. I remember I was in the Sistine Chapel when I was in Rome. And the night before we went to the Sistine Chapel, I knew probably the only time in my life I'm going to be able to see it. So I was peeling over the books, trying to figure out how to read it. And I walked in there, and we had this tour guide who was talking about a bunch of nonsense. And I'm sitting there, and I was just, my eyes were open because I had prepared myself properly. And I was looking for all of that symbolism in the sacred scriptures that were coming out. And I found myself, she had her group, and then I had my group. Because I was walking around, take a look at that, take a look at that, take a look at that. We have to slow down and we have to be willing to do some work. And when we open the Bibles and we're not willing to do the work, we fail. 
Fair enough? Yes. Okay. One aspect of that, what happens, parents, what happens, you've all seen it. You've seen other parents that raise their children on cereal. Yes? On junk food, right? Mm-hmm. You invite them over to your house and you cook a nice, beautiful filet mignon or a nice steak or a lasagna, whatever it is, and you sit down and what do they say? Where's the hot dogs? Yeah, do you got any hot dogs in the fridge? My kid won't eat anything but hot dogs. <laughs> I don't have any hot dogs in my house, so unfortunately I, I don't have that, all, that problem. But, but uh, what happens if you raise your children eating steak and lasagna and homemade bread and eggs that you raised with it, you have chickens outside and raising your own eggs. <laughs> My child doesn't know what a hot dog is. Oh, poor kid. I'll tell you what, she knows what a filet mignon is. Or she knows what a steak is. We, we are like that, friends. And we've been feeding ourselves. And we have to start to think what we're feeding ourselves with. And I don't mean food. If we're going to be able to appreciate the great work of art, the masterpiece of God that is before us, we have to start exposing ourselves to wonderful things. Exposing ourselves to the Word of God itself. Because you're not going to be able to open it and pull open like a, like a McDonald's bag. Your Bible's not your McDonald's bag. Right? It takes work. To prepare. You have to sit down for a meal. You have to appreciate it. St. Ambrose says, As in paradise, God walks in the Holy Scriptures seeking man. When a sinner reads these scriptures, he hears God's voice saying, Adam, where art thou? When you read the Bible... God is walking with you and he's speaking with you and he's calling you. And if you find yourself reading the Bible and you don't hear God speaking, that's the first sign that we have a problem. It's the first sign that we've been eating McDonald's too long. Okay? So slow down. Listen for the word of God. Prepare yourself in prayer and in faith. Read slowly and be willing to do some work. Be willing to do some research. And I'm going to show you ways to do research. It's very simple. You don't need anything else but your Bible. But you need a willing heart. And you need patience. So first, we must drink from it every day. You've got to read every day. You have to read consistently. Lent's a good time to start. It's a good time to start if you have the right principles. But you have, it's not just for Lent. Every day. Three times a day, I don't care. Throw out the People magazine. Stop your subscription to it. And start getting a subscription to the Bible. And start reading that on a daily basis. Cardinal Ratzinger gives us some basic principles in a book he wrote. Um, called On How to Read the Bible. Some basic rep- recommendations. The first one, I don't need you guys can write it. Read it as God's work to us. 
number one. Read it as God's word to us. So what he's saying is, don't simply read it as something that you're standing outside of. Okay? you got to read it as God's letter writing to you. And just as when a friend writes you a letter, all sorts of things start popping into your mind. Imagination, pictures, the way the person looks, and all of that. He's writing to you. So don't stand outside and let Jesus say to other people, eat my flesh. Hear Jesus say that to you. And respond to him. Let God speak to you. The second thing he says is read it with a master. What's he mean by that? Open your Bibles to Acts, the book of Acts. We at least had to open it one time tonight. Oh, I don't have the reference in. That's right. It'll take you long enough to find the book. Uh-oh. Where's the conversion of the unit, Jennifer? Somewhere in Acts. Philip in Ethiopia. Yes. 826. Oh, she was. Chapter 8. Oh, chapter 8. Yes, you're right. Chapter 8. It's in my head. Because I have it written down in another place. Chapter 8, verse 26. An angel of the Lord then addressed Wait, himself. Wait, just get everybody's chat. Everybody's there? We're all there. Go ahead. An angel of the Lord then addressed himself to Philip. Chapter 8, verse 26. Chapter 8, verse 26. An angel of the Lord then addressed himself to Philip. Head south toward the road which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, the desert route. Philip began the journey. It happened that an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official in charge of the entire treasury of Candace, a name meaning queen of the Ethiopians, had come on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and was turning home. He was sitting in his carriage reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, go and catch up with that carriage. Philip ran ahead and heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. He said to him, do you really grasp what you are reading? How can I, the man replied, unless someone explains it to me. With that, he invited Philip to get in and sit down beside him. This was the reading of scripture, he was, passage of scripture he was reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer, he was silent and opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, he was the pride of justice. Who will ever speak of his posterity? For he is the pride of his life on earth. The eunuch said to Philip, Tell me, if you will, of whom the prophet says this, himself or someone else. Philip launched out with the scripture passage as a starting point. Okay, the and so forth, Jesus. and so forth, and so forth. Okay? Do you understand what you're reading? And what does he say? How can I? Unless someone help me. And that's all the Pope is saying. Look, if I tell this to the youth group, to the kids, I say, if you want to be a great football player, what do you need? A coach. And it's the same with reading the Bible. There's a whole tradition and wisdom of the church for 2,000 years that have come before us, and thousands of years before that of the Jews. So that the fathers of the church, the great saints of the church, are a guide for us. 
And let me tell you how easy that is. We'll have time later on to get into this, not today, but next time, about how easy it is to pull the works of the saints off the internet. Very easy. Okay? On topics such as the Gospel of John, if you want to read the Gospel of John, and so forth. The guides are there. Let them guide you. Okay? So it's helpful to read the Bible with a commentary or with an, the assistance of the church fathers, with the wisdom of the fathers, with a guide, a helper. Okay? If you're out there on your own, you're going to struggle. The third thing he says is to read within the church, within the living community. He says, read within the company of the church in whose liturgy these events continuously become present anew, such that we gradually enter more and more into the sacred scripture in which, in which God really speaks to us today. Interpret that for me. Say that again in a different way. What's he saying? Are you guys listening? What's he saying? Read within the company of the church in whose liturgy these events continuously become present anew, such that we gradually enter more and more into the sacred scripture in which God really speaks to us today. It's all What's in the mass. What's that? It's all in the mass. Okay. And not just the mass. Not just the mass, but the whole liturgical life of the church. What is, why does he say that these events, the events found in scripture, continuously become present to us today? that these events become present to us today? Metaphors? Uh, analogy? Mm. Um, uh, relating to it in the present day? Okay. Yes, on a, on a very superficial level, I'd say there's something so much more than that. Is it the living church, the, the living gospel that reveals itself to us personally? But sacramentally? Okay. Alright, what do you mean by sacramentally? Like you said, like baptism is like no way in the ark and the going through the waters. Of okay, so what he's saying is, and he's, he's making all these reference to the Old Testament. We'll ty- talk about typology again later. But he's saying, look, well, because baptism is kind of like Noah going through the flood, when you're baptized, you have, you have kind of a relationship there. And I'm going to say you don't have just kind of a relationship there. You have a real relationship. The church fathers believed and understood that when we entered into baptism, as St. Paul says, we are baptized into Christ. And everybody that has been baptized is baptized into Christ. And Christ is alive today. When you enter into baptism, when you are baptized into Christ, you meet every single person in a moment who has been baptized into Christ, spanning over 2,000 years of Christian baptism. And going back to the Old Testament... The fathers believed and had insights, and we'll talk about this again more next time, that not only do we meet every Christian who is ever baptized into Christ at the moment of our baptism, but that we enter literally into the flood when man was buried and rose again in Noah. We cross through the Red Sea with Moses. We cross through the Jordan River with Joshua and Elijah. That when we enter into the life of the church, time is of no consequence. Time is not binding to us anymore. 
And we can stand in the church and see the flood take place in the sacrament of baptism. We can see Moses cross the Red Sea in the sacrament of baptism. We'll talk about that again more next time. One other aspect of what he's saying is his, when he finishes regarding our entrance into the sacred scriptures. Our entrance into the sacred scriptures. Read within the company of the church in whose liturgy these events continuously become present anew, such that we gradually enter more and more into the sacred scripture in which God really speaks to us today. When we enter into the sacred scriptures through reading the Bible in light of the liturgy of the church, we enter into what the Holy Father likes to call the exit or the exitus and reditus of God. He says that when God created man, he poured forth his life. He gave in an act of love, the gift of himself. And man, as the image and likeness of God, was made to do what God had just done, but now in relationship to God. And by that act, enter into the life of God himself. The entire story of the sacred scriptures, the entire story of the Bible, is that story. It is the entire story, one story, one idea, presented throughout every single page of the Bible, that God reaches down to man, and man either refuses to receive, or accepts that gift and gives himself back to the Father. Every single story in the Bible is the same story. They all participate in that one unique mystery of God's gift of himself to us and our gift of ourselves back to him. And the church uses a word for that gift of ourselves back to him. Eucharist. What does the word Eucharist mean? Thanksgiving. To give thanks. To give something which is ours to another for what we received. The entire story of the Bible is the story of the Eucharist. Of man receiving the gift of God and taking that gift and offering it back to the Father. I read this to you earlier and I, meant, I started with it. I didn't mean to start with it. It is pleasing, it pleased God in his goodness and wisdom to reveal himself and make known the mystery of his will. His will was that men should have access to the Father through Christ the Word made flesh in the Holy Spirit and thus become partakers, sharers in the divine nature. By this revelation then, the invisible God, from the fullness of his love, addresses men as his friends. 
and moves among them in order to invite and receive them back into his company. That's the mystery of God's love for us, and that's the entire story of the sacred scriptures. Seventeen. Yes. When you say that, that was like a huge revelation to me, the second half of the circle. But that particularly places us in, as I reflect on it, on the position of Christ, right, who became man in particular, yeah. right, to show us how to give ourselves back to the Father. Well, what, I didn't give you the full story here, so I'll have to finish it. <laughs> what Cardinal Ratzinger says, he says that this gift of himself to man at creation was cut off by Adam. Christ came then and took upon himself, he used a beautiful language, the, uh, the shepherd took the sheep upon his shoulders and carried it back home. That Christ did with us what we could not otherwise do. But in particular, yeah. right, so in the eternity of the Trinity, Christ ever towards, turned towards the Father in that embrace of love, right? Recognizing his generation eternally from the Father, mm -hmm. recognizing the Father's glory in that embrace of love of the Holy Spirit. It's his position that we enter into a relation with the Father as sons and daughters. Right. right. Yeah. You don't even comment on that, right? Go ahead. No, I think you were pretty clear on the point. Jennifer, do you have something to say? Okay. What, what book are you talking about with um, you and, uh, Pope Benedict? What's this book? How to read how to how to read the Bible. How to read the Bible. Read the Bible. Yeah, how to read the Bible. Okay. okay. It's for this reason that Saint Jerome says that ignorance of scripture. Ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. In the sacred word written here for us, we come to know the one who not only gave himself to us from the beginning, but came to take us back home at the incarnation. <clears throat> ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. It is Jesus Christ who appears throughout the entire Old Testament and the entire New Testament. Because in Him, He is the revelation of the love of God. In Him, we find the revelation of the love of God. And it is throughout the sacred scriptures, the pages of your Bible, that we are again and again introduced into that mystery of the gift of God's self to us and our call back to Him. Ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. And I'll go further. Ignorance of Christ cuts off our ability to be saved. Because as the sacred scriptures themselves say, there is one in whom salvation is found. If you say to me, I am ignorant of the sacred scriptures, I will say to you, you better get familiar with them. You better get to know Jesus Christ because it's your salvation that is dependent upon that. I'll leave you with one thing. We didn't get uh, quite as far as I would hope, as is usual. <laughs> luckily, luckily, we actually have a week. Um, a, a week that's empty, so if we have to go three, we can, Yay. which is nice. Shocking. Yeah, shocking. Okay. <laughs>
leave you with this. Turn to Philippians, the epistle to Philippians. Acts. Go to your, your Gospels and no, 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 stop, 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 stop. Do not go to your index in the front of your Bible to find out where Philippians is. I don't have tabs. I don't like tabs either. Gospels, and then you've got Acts of the Apostles, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So if I went to... In order of decreasing. It's not easy to find. Don't worry, we have, we have a little bit of time. We take 30 seconds to do it. Be patient. Find the book of Philippians. Slow down. Let everybody get there. Just find the book of Philippians. I'm giving this to you as your homework, so not to find it, but it's text. <laughs> Are we all there? Oh, come on, friends. Start at Acts. Find Acts of the Apostles. Then keep going. Where are you at? I'm Galatia. Galatia. Romans. Keep going now. Keep going. First Corinthians, second Corinthians. Keep going. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Right there, we found it. Thank we're you. We're good. It's the last day of so don't worry. We're all starting. So it's like, it's like training wheels here, guys. And trust me, when we do this thing after Easter, by the end of that seven-part series, you're going to be just flipping all over the place. No problem at all. No problem at all. Now look, Philippians chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 6. Actually, verse 5. Alright, this wonderful lady said it's her favorite favorite passage. But I'm going to tell you guys, you've heard this before. And unfortunately, you've probably never understood what it meant. Probably. Verse 5, have this in mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What image comes to your mind? <coughs> the church I grew up in. The church you grew up in, all right. Humility, yes. What else? Obviously, the incarnation? Obviously the incarnation, the crucifixion. The crucifixion? The resurrection. The resurrection? The ascension. Good. The ascension, the glory of Jesus Christ on high. The high. second coming as the well. The second coming, the good. will bend the knee. It's all right there, isn't it? Yeah. Like people kneeling down in church, how about that? To the glory of God, the singing of the holy, holy, holy. Amen. Let me read you something while you look on the board behind me. Have this in mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. 
Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every other name. <coughs> this text is not so much about the Word of God. It's not so much about the Incarnation or the Resurrection, the Crucifixion or the Resurrection or the Ascension. It's about something that went very wrong a long, long time ago. And I'm going to leave you with that. And I want you to think about it. And I want you to think of the problem. And I want, to think, want you to think of the reason why Jesus came. And I want you to go back and meditate a little bit upon something that went wrong a long, long time ago called the fall. Wouldn't be a bad idea to go and read it. And I want you to read it in light of what's being said here and compare it to what you read there. And I want you to ask yourself, why is it that that thought never came in mind? Because that's the thought. The story of Adam, who was disobedient, that St. Paul was writing about when he wrote about Jesus Christ. We have to become familiar with the Word of God, how the Word of God is written, the style in which the Word of God is written. We have to retrain ourselves to eat at the feast, at the table of God, which is rich. And when we do that, and it's hard, takes time, but what we receive from that will be beyond our expectation. Now, I know we didn't start in Genesis and go to Revelation and give you a bunch of answers tonight, but we started. And I hope I whetted your appetite a little bit. A little bit. The next time we get together, we're going to go through some basic principles that the Catechism gives us, the Church gives us, St. Thomas Aquinas gave us, and the Church Fathers gave us, about how to read the Scriptures properly, and how meaning the Scriptures can be different. Unfortunately, I will leave you this, I promise I'll stop here. We oftentimes open the Bible like the New York Times. <laughs> and it doesn't read like that. we got to learn how to read it the right way with all its nuances and poetic style. Okay? And then we'll be able to read it on our own for all it's worth. Okay? In nomine Patris et Filius Spiritus Sancti. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.